This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody. Welcome into The Lake Show. Matthew Collar from Purple Insider in for Henry Lake tonight. Uh, I guess Henry doesn't do double shifts as he was filling in for Chet Hartman. I, I mean, I guess radio guys are soft like that. I think he could probably pull six hours on the air, but instead, I am in. And here's what we're going to talk about. Because my entire existence is basically the National Football League, we're going to talk about football. Uh, we've got some off-season discussion that is really fascinating with the Minnesota Vikings that I want to start with, and also a couple of coach hires today. And one of them is uh, very surprising, maybe, that Sean Payton's going to the Denver Broncos. Rules analyst for Fox, Dean Blandino, is going to sh- join the show later, and we're going to ask him if the NFL is rigged. No, I'm just kidding. But I saw an absolutely insane amount of people thinking that the NFL is rigged after the way that Sunday's games went. And my response is, I wish they had rigged the first game for Brock Purdy to not get hurt or for somehow San Francisco to stay in it. There's way too many bad games uh, for the NFL to be rigged. So if they want to make it like pro wrestling, where every match is absolutely epic all the way down to the final moment when uh, they allow the guy to get pinned or something, okay, but way too many bad football games for us to talk about it being rigged. But uh, we'll ask Dean Blandino, really, though, how refereeing in the NFL could be improved and its transparency be improved because I think a lot of us, even people like myself who cover the league, struggle with the insane amount of rules that the NFL has. So we'll talk to Dean about that. But I want to begin by keeping Paul Hodewanik in the studio because Paul contributes to my website, purpleinsider.com, writing about the Minnesota Vikings. And I want to get your reaction as a youth, Paul, uh, about uh, some messages that I've gotten from listeners to my podcast. I'm just going to promote everything I do real quick. And and uh, fans that I've seen on, on Twitter, normally when we talk about the idea of rebuilding, and that doesn't have to be tanking, what ends up happening is people who are on the older side are like, no, I do not want my football team to rebuild. I want us to sign whoever we can sign in free agency. I want us to keep a good quarterback, and I want the coach to do his job, and I want us to win the Super Bowl because I don't want to wait four years for rebuilding. But something has happened after that Giants game. The Giants game broke these people. This has been my observation. It completely broke these people. And more, it's five years of only winning one playoff game is probably what actually broke these people. But I think after Mike Zimmer had had things go so far down that a lot of folks were willing to listen to, hey, a new coach who's not a curmudgeon, who's more modern, isn't like psychotic sometimes, that's really the answer. Maybe if he likes the quarterback, that's really the answer. And yet... After they still ended up with the same results, 
at the end of the year, which is sitting home on championship weekend, watching other people have all the fun. I have gotten more messages from fans who have said, look, I've been cheering for this team since the 70s. We've never seen them really, truly rebuild. They've always taken these swings. They've always signed the expensive quarterback or they've always tried to just cobble together or they've always blamed the coach or something. And I'm ready. I'm ready to step back to go forward. And I wanted your reaction to this, Paul, because normally it is people in your age bracket who are totally cool with, and I don't want to say tanking because the Vikings can't really tank with Justin Jefferson, but understanding of how timelines work. Because not too long ago, the 76ers were horrendous for several years with the idea of trusting the process of rebuilding a contender. And the 76ers have been an excellent basketball team for years after they were horrible for a few years. And I, and I feel like that opened eyes. But the older generation of fans has struggled the most with this because they just like don't want to sit around and watch bad football for a year. But it's finally gotten them to that place where they feel like they need to do something to go back in that direction. So your reaction to that, Paul, as a young Yes, yes. I don't know if it's written in my contract explicitly, but I was, you know, I was brought on to be the youth correspondent. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. happy to be here and, and and share my wealth of knowledge of everyone that's, you know, in their twenties. I think I'm qualified to speak for them. Um yeah, I think I think maybe what's putting it over the edge is O'Connell was supposed to be the difference, the thing that differentiated what the Zimmer era was and what this era could be. And I think the regular season gave people hope and maybe a glimpse that that was going to happen. And then it kind of crashed all down in that Giants game. And, you know, losing in the first round isn't unique to Kevin O'Connell. That's something that Zimmer has done in the past. And even Zimmer's teams have gotten further than that and still kind of left you in the same spot that many fans are are, are feeling right now in terms of we're just, we're not there. We're not at a Chiefs level. We're not at an Eagles level. We're not even at a Bengals or a 49ers level like we're a rung below that and I think maybe it was all the excitement and optimism that O'Connell won the higher brought and then two the regular season seemed to bring only for it to seemingly kind of crumble in one week I think that drastic shift and maybe the realization that hey you know we're more than a coach away from this and this wonderkin that we thought was so great in the regular season once it got to the playoffs all the same limitations popped up again I think I think they needed to see that happen with another coach maybe before they felt like, hey, it's it's finally time. Well, I don't just bring up your age to give you a hard time. Um, some of it is that. But also, I, I think that it does matter that like in cert, you know, certain people's age groups, they've always had this in sports that general managers were talking about timelines and time horizons now is what Kwesi Adafo Mensa uses. And there's always been a part of this space where teams are trying intentionally and planning their entire organizations around getting the top pick. And this existed a little bit in hockey back in the day. The most famous one was Mario Lemieux and the Penguins where they were intentionally losing games, but it doesn't, it didn't happen that often. It was sort of like every team tried to win every year and then whoever ended up worst ended up worst. Um, and so I think that that's why it was f- sort of forged that way that people who are, say, have watched the team since the 70s, they would not be interested in that type of thing. Uh, do you think that there is any argument against the Vikings dropping back, like moving on from these older players, 
drafting potentially even a quarterback? Like, what what would be the argument against that? Is there a case that they should just do some things different and then try to win next year, try to chase the Super Bowl? I think you're only the only way you should seriously consider that is if that if that's like a a directive you get from Justin Jefferson that says, I'm leaving if this isn't happening. I think he's that important to your franchise that you need to make sure you're doing whatever you can to keep him. So if, if he's kind of dangling, well, I'm not going to sign unless I see what you're doing here. And I, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, obviously the Vikings need a long-term future at quarterback that they get, uh, you know, situated at some point here, especially with Kirk Cousins' age creeping up. So if Justin put that puts that type of directive on you, I think you have to think about it. But other than that, I think, I think that was kind of the pitch this year, and then it fell short. So for you to do it another year after Zimmer and Spielman seemed to do it for a couple of years, that would seem disingenuous at this point. And also, I think we just need to live in reality about the age of a lot of the players and the expense and how this is how football works. Like It always goes cyclically where you have some good teams and then the roster fades around them. And the only way to not go up and down for most teams is by having Patrick Mahomes or Tom Brady. And there's only a couple of those guys per generation. So if you don't get one, then you've got to nail what the Philadelphia Eagles did, which was they had a year where they dropped back in 2020. And and you look at the two organizations, the Vikings and the Eagles, 2020. The Vikings were 1-5. in They were right there on that path. And they were like, no, we're going to fight to the death to go 7-9. and Whereas the Eagles went 4-11-1, I think. And then now they're here after rebuilding for basically a year. And that's, I think, another thing that people have come to realize is it doesn't have to be five-year rebuilds. Back in the day when there wasn't free agency, yes, you would have to draft year after year after year and develop and build a team. But I think that now people realize it can be quick. Um, Paul, what was the first Super Bowl you remember? Oh, man, I remember going to a Super Bowl party for the uh, Patriots, uh, you know, undefeated season game um, going against the Giants, the David Tyree catch. I think that's the first one where I'm very, like, cognizant of the game and what was happening. Okay. I remember Wide Right as my first one in 1990. So Slightly different. A little little bit of difference, but uh, multiple perspectives here on age. So thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. I want to talk a little bit about, as it pertains to this, Sean Payton going to the Denver Broncos and D'Amico Ryans being hired by the Houston Texans and what those say about the Vikings when we return. Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. All right, Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. And uh, some huge news in the NFL today that there were – A couple of coaching hires, one in Denver where Sean Payton is now the head coach of the Denver Broncos, which is going to be weird, and D'Amico Ryans, who is the defensive coordinator of the San Francisco 49ers, he is now the head coach of the Houston Texans. Now, when you think of these organizations, just think in your brain about what you think of the Broncos organization and the Texans. When you think of the Broncos, you probably think of John Elway or Peyton Manning, uh, Gary Kubiak, if you want the Minnesota connection. And you think that they're a great franchise. Walmart owns them. Condoleezza Rice is involved somehow with their ownership. You think of like they're one of the more premier franchises. I don't mean that they've been always good or even recently good at all, but just as far as you think of like the Steelers, I think the Vikings go into this, these franchises that have been around for a long time and you know that they're good and they're stable and you, and you think highly of them, right? The Houston Texans could not be more of the opposite. They are barely a team. They have the worst uniforms I've ever seen. They lose every game. 
And their quarterback that actually made them relevant for a minute turned out to be a predator, and they got rid of him. It's not a real good situation in Houston. And yet, what I think that these two hires say, in a way, about the Minnesota Vikings and the connection to the Vikings is that I would bet on the Texans being better in the long run than Denver after these two moves today. Because as much as I respect Sean Payton and what he's done, and Minnesota fans do not respect Sean Payton, but, uh, you know, he's a good coach. He's a good coach. He's maybe a sociopath, but he's a good coach. And he's going to go to a team that has given up all of its draft picks over years, including one draft pick to actually hire Sean Payton, to coach a quarterback who at best, at best, is probably in the middle of the NFL, even if he takes a big step forward next year. He was one of the worst in the league, but he's not ever going to be again an elite quarterback in Russell Wilson. His time is done. His athleticism is gone. He's a pocket quarterback. He needs a lot of help around him to be good at all, more likely than not. And I'm guessing he'll be... With Sean Payton and the improvement, maybe the twelfth best quarterback in the league. Let's just let's just say that it goes better, and that's how it plays out. Now, Houston, they are going to draft number two, and they're going to get a quarterback. I don't know if it's Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, both tremendous prospects. Maybe it's Will Levis, the uh, huge arm dude from Kentucky, or Anthony Richardson it would shock everybody, but. Uh, total physical freak from Florida that's kind of like Cam Newton-ish. Okay, so those are your options. Those are pretty good. Houston is bringing in an inexperienced coach to build the team kind of in his vision around a top draft pick quarterback. And certainly these things fail sometimes. And they have before. You don't have to look farther than the New York Jets. But the Texans are not tied to anything. Uh, They don't have a lot of players who are expensive. They don't have a quarterback who's expensive, and they can just build from scratch. And they have a better chance at greatness in the near future by doing that with D'Amico Ryans than Denver does bringing in a famous coach to try to stack up around Russell Wilson and drag whatever is left. But Russell Wilson's one of the most expensive quarterbacks in the league. Are you getting where I'm headed with this? Wink, wink, nod, nod, like... This is kind of a point about the Vikings is sometimes if you look through the other lens at other teams and you ask, do you believe in them? Then why do you believe in you? And it kind of reminds me of uh, the Raiders this last offseason where they could have moved on from Derek Carr, an expensive middling quarterback. But instead, they traded for Devontae Adams, which is not a bad move, of course. Good wide receiver. Signed Chandler Jones. And they thought, this will be it. This will be it. We're going to hire our offensive guru. This will be it. And they ended up with mediocre results again. And I think that all the teams that have sort of done this and stumbled around in the middle, that's usually the results they get. And that's not me saying that the Vikings should try to draft number one overall next year. Although if they happen to, that would be really good for them. Since Caleb Williams, the Heisman dude, is going to be the top draft pick. But I think it says something about how important it is where your franchise stands and when you have to live in reality as opposed to what Denver's doing where they got new owners and they're talking themselves into something that's probably not going to work. I could be wrong. Maybe Russell Wilson bounces right back and he's amazing, but the odds are against that. You don't have to look too far to see that. When you look at a a team like the Cincinnati Bengals, who just in 2020 was horrific 
And then they get Joe Burrow, and all of a sudden the Bengals, who are a laughingstock, are you know, play it through away from going to the Super Bowl. And I think that that is a way to kind of frame it to look at understanding why when we are discussing rebuilding with the Vikings, why it makes sense. And again, it doesn't mean they have to lose all the games next year. It just means that you get rewarded in the NFL for taking a long-term view, and that's something that that team has not done in quite some time. All right, uh, who wants to talk about refereeing? We go from rebuilding to refing. Dean Blandino is going to shine some light on some of the things that happened in that Chiefs and uh, Bengals game that got so much attention and how to make refing better in the NFL as it always seems to be at the center of controversy. We'll do that next. Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. All right, back here in for Henry Lake, Matthew Collar with you, and we welcome in rules analyst from Fox Sports, Dean Blandino. I'm going to start off uh, in a place where I'm going to guess you don't get too many people starting off interviews, Dean. Uh, I want to talk about the XFL and what you guys did with the XFL because I know you're involved in that, and I loved it, and I loved it. I loved that there were some new things tried in that league, and one of them was – more transparency with the rules. And when I see people losing their minds and things like that on Twitter and saying the league is rigged and all this crazy stuff, one thing I think about was how great that was to have a better understanding of what was going on with the rules in the XFL. And I know maybe not every fan saw it who watches the NFL, but I would I would love to hear you talk about your guys' process in that and – if there's any chance we could see more things like it, like inside the booth with the replays and hearing what the referees were talking about, uh, I would love to see more of that in the NFL. No question. We're really excited. We felt like XFL in 2020, we had more transparency than, than really any level of football, any, any game that, uh, you know, was broadcasted for people to watch. And we're going to expand on that. And, and you really, hit the nail on the head in that when you don't see the process, when you don't know what's going on, that's when people start to come up with these conspiracy theories and all of these different things. But when you can watch it and see it and, and, and hear it, it's just, you get a better understanding. You may not always agree with the rule or the decision, but you don't walk away with questions as to, as to why or how it happened. And that's something that we felt was really important with a new league and trying to get people engaged. And, and we're going to see more of it. You know, I don't know if the NFL, the NFL has such a long history and tradition, and there's a lot of that legacy that, that makes it harder to just, hey, we're going to pull back the curtain completely. Right. But I think, I think the NFL needs to look at that in, in some way, especially as it pertains to officiating, because Look, there's a lot of talk. You have the games on Sunday where there were some controversial calls, and then you get fans of one team or or the other team that are saying, "Well, the officials are out to get us." You know, there's a, there's you know they they don't like our our team or whatever it may be. And if the NFL would be more transparent, people would see. Look, I was part of the NFL for a very long time, and and there's no the officials want to get it right more than anyone. It's just it's a fast game. It happens really quick, and the officials are human, and sometimes they make mistakes. So what is the holdup? I mean, on that, I mean, we are <laughs> we are in a world, though, where, you know, NFL films will take us to the sideline, and we can listen to Patrick Mahomes beg to go back in the game when he gets injured, but it seems like they're very protective of the refs, and I, I think that's right to some extent uh, because they get attacked constantly, and it's a impossible task 
to get everything right. And you know what? You're right that 32 of 32 fan bases thinks the refs are out to get them. So I guess how could it be that every team – anyway, that's not the point. Yeah. But but yeah, it, exactly. but are there reasonable steps that you could see actually happening? I know that we're never going to get every, every single thing that we want to hear from the referees, but it feels like there could be more. There, there definitely could be more. And I think it's it's still a holdover – from old school thinking before the internet, before there, you know, everyone had more access to video and information and where you could just, you know, kind of ignore the the media or ignore that, that kind of push towards getting more information about officiating. But those days are over the access. Like you said, we're, we're listening to what Patrick Mahomes is saying on the sideline. We're seeing all of these different things and, and everyone, you know, has a platform and I think the league has taken some steps and, and they're on Twitter, NFL officiating's on Twitter and they do they do tweet out from time to time. But I think sometimes you can you can gain credibility if you come out and admit a mistake. And and I don't think you can do that you can't do that every game, right? You can't say, Well, we we missed ten calls this game because that undermines the credibility of the officials of and you also have officials that you know, you have to continue to keep in, 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 a, in a good place because they're going to go out and work the following week and, and we want them to be successful. But I think there's an opportunity to just be more transparent. And if there is a missed call, hey, it, we missed this. Here's why. Here's what we're doing to correct it. And, and I think people will, they might not feel completely great about it, but I think they'll feel a little bit better where they can let it go and move on versus just nothing. And then they're wondering what happened. Fox Sports Rules Analyst Dean Blandino joining us here on the John Schuster Caldwell Bankwell uh, Banker Hotline. I bet everyone does that. Um, so, I, I, so I wanted to ask what holding is um, because I would love yeah. to understand that. But uh, I also wanted to comment that uh, I can't imagine what the NFL officiating Twitter's mentions look like every weekend <laughs> on Sunday. Oh, my God. Be, whoever <laughs> runs that. The poor social media Go person is probably there. an intern. Go on there. If, if you want a good laugh. <laughs> Go on there after they tweet something and just read. <laughs> so, I mean, I get it on my – people still think that I make decisions. You know, oh. I'm just commenting on it, and people still think. So my comments are pretty funny. The comments on that Twitter handle are, are really good. Yes, and if you explain what happened, then you're just defending the refs because you're part of the ref Illuminati and all that yes. sort of stuff. Yes, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm an accomplice, no, no doubt. But I would uh, – I just think that there are some rules in the NFL that are so difficult for the referees to call that the answer feels like more replay. But then when they tried to do pass interference replay, that was kind of a mess and holding interference. And also every time somebody falls on the quarterback a little too much, then sometimes we get a flag. Sometimes we don't get a flag. And I think that that if we could resolve some of that, it would eliminate maybe 75% of the crazy tweets that go to NFL officiating. And, and I don't know what the answer is, but maybe you've got a better solution there. Well, I think it's a balance. And I think we've seen the league take some steps to introduce more replay. I felt like pass interference was a complete and total disaster. And, mm-hmm. You know, anytime you, anytime you had a rule because of one play, and look, it was a big play. We get it. It was the NFC Championship game. And, in, you know, the Saints should have been in the Super Bowl. We get that. But it's one play and then you change a rule. And we got to see how it's so hard to review those plays because the rules are written so officials can make decisions in real time at full speed. And then whenever you use slow motion 
to review something, you're always going to distort it to some extent. But I think there are opportunities. Um, like you, you mentioned the quarterback. Is there is there a set of player safety rules, whether it's roughing the pass or hits on defenseless players, where there's some objective part of that call? You know, did he hit the player in the head, neck area? Those types of things that could be reviewable. They do it in college with targeting. I think you can do that. I think you can introduce uh, and they're doing a good job with, with expediting these reviews and, and, and being more efficient. But there's a balance because I don't think anyone wants to watch a game where every time an official makes a call, we're getting word from upstairs that they've got to correct something or moving the ball a half yard or correcting the clock. Because then you have just so many interruptions in the game and it just it's not a fun game to watch. So I think there's a balance. I think technology will continue to improve. It's going to improve at a at a much faster rate than, than, a, than human beings, you know, their eyesight isn't going to change. They're, they're still have to move and get in position to see different things. So I think it's a balance of using technology, using it, you know, efficiently, but also not overusing it where it interrupts the game too much. No, that's a great point because basketball and baseball both suffer with this, with the replay, where if somebody bops somebody else in the head a little bit too hard, it's like, whoa, everybody stopped the game. And I've been in the arena when this happened. It's just miserable. It's just like, is he bleeding? It's fine. Everybody move on. Uh, And with baseball, oh, well, it was a bang, bang play at first. And now we're going to stop the whole game and challenge it and, and everything else and it's yeah. just a terrible experience um, but I have been a pro sky judge person I think that if we had just things that sky judge if if you will uh, could look at and one of those things is definitely with the quarterback because it's such a significant penalty when someone hits the quarterback too hard and they throw a flag and it's happening so no fast. Question. Like I think of the, the Chris Jones one where I could understand how that referee would have thought that Chris Jones threw his body on the quarterback, uh, but he didn't like just in, in, in getting another look at it. So I think that if there was a sure. set of certain things that they could look at uh, and that it was only those things, it would be better. And you know what? I think Dean, that the NFL might have the budget for this. I think, I don't know if they no, have enough. They definitely, they, they definitely have the budget. Budget's not a problem. It's just how much they're willing to spend on officiating. And, uh, but you're right. And I think that that's the thing, what, what, what we've learned with replay, and this goes back to 1999, I was involved with bringing replay back into the NFL. And we had a, a small set of reviewable plays, and, and it was limited. But every year something happened, and then you add to it, right? And then you continue to add to it. And now if you look at the replay rule compared to what it was in 1999, it's so much more extensive. And that's always the concern with, yes, the good intentions. We want to start with a small group of plays, rough in the pass or whatever it may be. But then somebody's going to miss a face mask, and then we're going to say, well, why can't we review that? Or, or that, that was, you know, that, that was a, a, a defensive hold. We should be able to review that. And then you, you just expand. And then at some point, right, the simplest thing to do is just say, hey, Coaches get three challenges per game. You have three timeouts, challenge whatever you want. It has to be obvious to change it, and it's simple and cleaner, um, and it's limited. I, I don't know. I think we, we, we keep, continue to creep in that direction, and at some point we're going to have to say, what, what is replay designed for? Is it designed to correct everything, or is it designed to correct the obvious mistake in a significant situation. And the basic premise going in back in 99 and even prior to that was 
fix the obvious mistake in the significant situation, but we've drifted further and further away from that. Right. And you brought up a good point earlier just about, you know, being reactive to things and seeing one play happen and then everybody kind of gets the pitchforks out. And I would imagine it's hard even for Raj if he's on Twitter, like looking at what everyone's saying, this this league's got all these problems. And I was watching something the other day where it was like the full time ref thing just keeps people keep pounding yeah, the table. Sure. And I've never felt like that has to really be um, something that's just going to fix things. I also think, Dean, I, and I'd be interested in your opinion. I think it's always going to be impossible to get everything right. And we just have to accept that you have to outplay the other team. And sometimes it's not always going to be fair. Like this, it's, this is a sport that's going to try its hardest, but it's never going to be perfect. No, you're absolutely right. And sometimes we forget. And there's, there's three groups of people that affect games, right? Coaches, players, and officials. But the officials are the only ones that are held to a standard of perfection, right? We, Players drop passes. The coaches make the wrong call. You know, every play, if everybody does what they're supposed to do, it's supposed to be a touchdown, right? But we know not every play is a touchdown. And so somebody missed an assignment some, somewhere or somebody missed a tackle on that big, that big touchdown run. But officials are the only ones that are expected to be perfect, and they're, they're going to make mistakes too. And, and if you look at over the course of a game, they make the fewest mistakes, you know, from coaches and players – but again, we're always focusing on those handful of plays each game where we, we either the officials did made a mistake or we didn't agree with the call. Yeah, I don't want to come off as too pro ref in a football uh, conversation <laughs> here because of course because of course Vikings fans think that the refs are out to get them and they cheer for the Packers and all those things. But uh, I, for one summer, I umpired like 16 to 18 year olds playing baseball and oh my wow. god dean i just, I was just yeah. like this is so hard i mean the first the first pitch the batter swung at it and it went back to the backstop and i was like ball like i didn't even see the guy swing <laughs> like just it is so it is so difficult and uh of course some coaches were upset about that so i do have sympathy but i think that you do an incredible job explaining the rules and that it brings a lot to broadcasts when you have a, a chance to you know, have something like that. So I want you to continue to have a job with controversies, but I don't think that's ever yes. going to change, Dean. <laughs> no, it's never going to change. We're always going to have something to talk about, and that keeps that keeps this rules analyst position <laughs> alive. But but you make a great point, and that that's one thing where the people that actually go out and do it, and and there's young people around the country that go out and officiate, and we get we get the benefit of of, of watching the play in slow motion from five or six different angles. They have to make that call one time from their angle at full speed. And I think sometimes we there's a disconnect in uh, you know between those two things. Yeah, and anybody who wants to see how different it is now and how much better it is now, go back. I like to watch old games on YouTube. Go back and see some of the yeah. calls that used to happen in games from 1993 or something. So it's always, uh, it's always yeah. improving, but it takes time. So, Dean, this was very cool. I appreciate all the explanations, and I feel like I understand the world better now that you have been here. That's a cool job <laughs> you have, that people it. always understand things better after you're done talking. Yeah, but then, you know, a couple of days later, you'll forget like everybody else. And then we'll, <laughs> we'll, have to re- we'll have to do a refresher. Yeah, that's, that's very right. Uh, <laughs> Dean, uh, thank, thanks for taking the time for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Uh, Dean Blandino, Fox Sports Rules Analyst. And, yep, we need them because there are so many rules and it's hard to understand. He was on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Take a quick break. We'll be right back with somebody who tried to play in a JV 
basketball game when maybe they were a tad too old. We'll be right back here. Uh, Matthew Collar in for Henry Lake. All right, real quick, Chris Tubbs producing Matthew Collar here. Uh, in Virginia, a girls' high school basketball coach was fired after impersonating a 13-year-old junior varsity player. And just my question for you, Chris, is, uh, I mean, if you're a coach and you're trying to impersonate a 13-year-old, you're mm-hmm. going to get caught. Uh, but if you were to yeah, write, not if your skill set's yeah, at that level. Or, or if you're four foot three. Uh, Can't teach that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess some, some girls have their, uh, you know, the growth spurt a little earlier, and maybe some 13-year-olds are five foot eight. Like, I don't know. But yeah. usually it's hard for someone who's even in their 20s to pull off 13 i'm just throwing that out there but if um if you were going to do this what sport would it be what what sport would you just go wreck little kids at i would go wreck them at baseball like i would be peter griffin standing in the box against a bunch of these young kids and i'd be waiting i'd be waiting out that 35 mile an hour fastball (laughs) and i just i'd be waiting back unleash i would unleash on that 35 mile an hour fast now who am i kidding they'd probably still get me uh, I mean, look at this body. Does it look like I'm athletic? Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't hit a home run, you might be thrown out at first base. <laughs> yeah. Like, little kids understand cutoff men. Yes, so they, they do. <laughs> better than the big leaguers sometimes. Uh, for me, it would also be basketball. Uh, backing kids down in the paint that were 13 years old. Now, I can't dunk, and I've never been able to dunk, but I don't know of too many 13-year-olds who are six foot two. And uh, I won't provide my weight because I wanted to get down a little bit, but uh, could throw could throw my weight around in some underdeveloped children, and get some easy layups in the paint. So you you strike me as a Peyton Manning United Way sort of guy. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Where you, the, the commercial? Yeah, right? you, you, yeah, yeah. You, you strike me as the guy that would playing quarterback and just throwing it too hard. Well, that's the thing with basketball. I was always good at it growing mm-hmm. up. So maybe I should pick a sport that I wasn't that good at, like tennis or or football. I was not a, I was not good at football. I would be an amazing quarterback against <laughs> junior high kids. This has got to be boy. This has got to be a diagnosable disease, right? Where you want like wish you were still in high school. I don't know. Anyway, let's talk more football when we come back. That's the best tease I can get. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with h track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.